Hello, and welcome to Gym World Worldwide, your one-stop shop for news about the business of fitness, the fitness industry, and the gym world worldwide. This week we have a very special episode, Two Brain Business, which is the largest gym mentorship business in the world. They just released its annual State of the Industry Report, so we'll be covering some of those stats and the trends found in that report and what it means for the industry. So it's great to have Chris here, who was, shall we say, heavily involved in the uh, formation of this report. Some would say the heaviest. The heaviest. Some would say he had the heaviest hand in crafting it. So I got mine right here. I I keep a a copy on my desk, another copy on my bedside table. Do you Uh, open it every morning and read it every night? (laughs) I've been trying to commit it to memory. Yeah, like I visualize client value, arm and leg. With Uh, your light therapy. Yeah. yeah, Chris, why don't you explain what this is and uh, why you felt compelled to build it and why you feel compelled to send it to uh, every box gym in North America? Uh, well, I think it's – I like the idea of making decisions from data. And in every industry now, there are people who want you to like buy their thing or support their method. But in the fitness industry especially, everybody wants to be right. And so it's really hard to get a clear sense of like how people are really doing compared to how they uh, seem to be doing online. And um, so around 2018, I guess, I was at a meeting at CrossFit HQ and they said, what's the number one thing we could do to help gyms? Put on the spot, I said, collect data and just distribute it. You don't have to tell us what to do. Just tell us really like, how other people are doing and like what they're charging and how many staff they have and how big are their gyms. And right on the spot, the CEO said, that's a great idea. We're never going to do it. And so why it took was me, that? Uh, well, Greg was still running the show at the time, but I think, and they were like, uh, strongly against talking about the business even. And, and part of that was like their licensure model is such that like it, they don't give business advice because they don't want to accept responsibility for right. uh, affiliate success, right? So um, I thought this was a middle ground, but they didn't want to go that far. And it's a it's a friggin' huge project. Like that's the that's the real reason. Um, so we just started. The first thing I wanted to talk about is revenue says here that the average gym is making $15,900 a month. Doesn't seem like enough to actually like run a functioning business. What are your, what are your thoughts on this, Chris? You'd have to be in a pretty low rent area to make that work. I think like when we were running a personal training studio, that would have been fine, two of us working full time paying rent of under two grand and really, you know, triple net expenses of under three, it would have been fine. Uh, But if you're renting any kind of space and if you're in any kind of, you know, place where other people live, the rent's probably going to be higher than that. Would it be fair to say that most of the numbers we're talking about are going to be more inclined, like more skewed to the side of like CrossFit and small group training facilities here? Yeah, there's some personal training studios in there. There's a few BJJ places, but by and large, the vast majority of the data set is like the CrossFit coaching business with around 150 clients or less. So yeah, we're saying if they're doing 5,900 in revenue, I go one of the things that I thought was interesting is we went over to the expenses section, 
and that is $15,465. So it looks like there's a gap of $500 there in monthly profit. So like what what's happening here? So we took median numbers from both, but my impression is that either some gym owners are paying themselves out of that 15 and then the rest is profit or most gyms are just breaking even. And I think like empirically that's pretty consistent with what we see people from people is they're just at that break even mark. But that means that's great. They're not losing money. Right. It said uh, the median net to owner benefit um, yep. is $3,787. So, um, you know, when I see the revenue at 15,900, the expenses at 15,000, like let's say 500, median net owner benefit at around 3,800. Um, you know, some people may get a little confused there. So maybe explain what is net owner benefit and why that may account for the difference in expenses and revenue. So net owner benefit is like the net uh, benefit that you get from the business. So that might be 2000 in salary. It might be 500 in like profit distribution and the rest is stuff that your business pays for on your behalf, like your cell phone and your truck, all those things add up to be part of the benefit that you receive from the business. And so the, the thing that I saw, like the revenue number was probably came in a little lower than I thought. The member number came in a little higher. So it, it, it looked like the average number of members one of these gyms had was 154. So if you do that and divide it by the revenue number, it looks like the average, uh, the average member at a training style gym is paying like around $100 a month. Does that sound right? Yeah, there's not enough like... Um what do you call it? like the big box 24 seven access gyms in the sample to skew it that much. So that's about right. When I saw it, I was like, mission accomplished, Chris, everyone's got Dunbar's number. We're there. 150 we members. It. I know. Work I, is I was done. Like 150. Yeah. Beautiful. You don't have to write it any about it anymore. It's over. We solved it. <laughs> what is uh, he referring to with the 150 and the, the Dunbar's number? Well, so the few years we started publishing these, we kept coming up with this number that was right around 150 clients. And that was just this natural ceiling for people. And I was talking to a friend about it and he's like, oh yeah, it's Dunbar's number. And it turns out that if you look at like anthropological or even historical or military data on tribe size, we just naturally congregate into these tribes of like 150 or less. And there's so many examples of this, it's amazing, but it's actually got a name because it happens so commonly. And it turns out that like 150 people can generally be, uh, I don't wanna say managed, but like led by one person without losing touch any more than 150 and you start to forget their dog's name and their spouse name and stuff like that, you know? Unless you're super charismatic, which, you know, I'm not. My number's probably around like 110. Everyone kind of like may look at some of these numbers and say, oh, this is way worse than I thought. But like when we started, this is way more like professionalized. Like when Teo and I opened uh, our gym in New York, it was like the only metric people cared about was members, like not revenue, not profit. It was just like that was the measuring stick for success within a CrossFit gym. Uh, yeah. And I think part of the part of the thing that you've changed in the mindset of most gym owners is like 
members is not like the leading indicator. Like if you want to make this into a business, the member doesn't, the member number doesn't actually matter. Like you need to look at uh, how much you're actually making from each member. Well, I think a lot of that stemmed from like, I, I don't know if it was insecurity or not, but I would be getting asked for advice and I'd be like, well, here's how much money I'm making and I'm about to buy my building and, you know, things are going pretty well. And they would say, well, how many members do you have? And I would say something like 120. And they would be like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Let's go ask this other guy who's got 300 members. And, um, you know, I would know that the other guy with 300 members is broke because he was on the phone to me the week before. So right from the start, we knew that member headcount is like one of six things that's important, not the only thing. One of the things that I thought was interesting, if you go to the group training section, it says the median price of group training is $160, right? So across yeah. all the different gym types. Uh, but if you look at the gym management data, which we know is probably more accurate than the self-reported, the average member is paying 100 a month. So it seems like there's a discrepancy what people are saying their average member number is and what they're actually getting when it comes when it comes down to it. So like, do you still think discounting is hyper prevalent? Yeah, I think it's just a bad habit that, that people got into and then they started talking about it. They looked successful because they had all these members. And so that story stuck and it's it's a really hard kind of not to untangle really. Uh, but yeah, that is a big problem. Gym owners are undercharging. Maybe they're charging 120 a month and then they're giving you a 20% discount because, you know, you, you married their father or whatever. And what was, what was the thing? Like your landlord doesn't give you a 20% discount just because you have firemen training in the building. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The government doesn't give you a 20% discount. Like, you just make less money and you choke yourself out. And unfortunately, it's not like, oh, you're cutting out 20% of expenses. You're cutting out the most important 20% that you make. So let's move on. So paid advertising with Mr. Don't Buy Ads. That's a, Chris's yes. first blog, don'tbuyads.com. It's still there. You I also read. loved how the first page of this thing was like, Does face, do Facebook ads still work? That was like the first second line <laughs> in, in the second paragraph in. It's the first question on Chris's mind. So I love it. I love it. What was the mindset? Because you, 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 you were or are an affiliate. Was. Yeah, we you were an affiliate. Yeah. And uh you originally affiliated when? 2008. Right. Okay. So you were actually around. So you like the 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 glory days of the CrossFit Journal. Like what it, what was like uh the OG CrossFit ideology when it came to marketing? Is bad, but so was profit. <laughs> I mean, if somebody right. commented on crossfit.com, like we had these we had these chat rooms, right? And um, if people said profit, they would tell you to drop your affiliation, get the hell out of the movement. You were ruining it for everybody. Whoa. And so like a lot of people actually carried that for five or six years. They were embarrassed to talk about it. And so was I until I started going hungry. And so why was your why was your blog called don't buy ads then was that to gain clout you knew you knew you knew the you knew the fans would like that well back then i don't think anybody would have known how to buy ads if there had been a place to buy ads on right so mm -hmm. but there were a lot of people trying to sell me yellow pages ads but really 
what uh, my first mentor told me was like, you're not ready to take one new client in the door yet. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, I need 10 today. And he said, no, you're not, you're not ready. Like, there's no sense in you getting more clients because nine out of 10 don't sign up. And then you don't keep the other one past the two week mark. You know, they all hate your service for good reason. And uh, I was like, no, no, it can't be true. Come to my gym. And he's like, I don't need to come to your gym. I'll tell you right now, like nobody wants to go to your gym. And so the don't buy ads was actually a reminder to myself. Don't buy advertising yet. Hmm. So according to this, uh, 54% of gym owners agree with you and and don't buy ads right now. <laughs> And the the average gym owner is only getting twenty seven leads a month, one a day. Um, I thought it was some... interesting. The, the martial arts ones uh, were bringing in a lot more. I I thought maybe it's just because it's a thing people search for more often, like self defense, you know, kickboxing, uh, boxing, whatever, karate, like karate for my kid. Um, and then also, I imagine like the free. I imagine the marketing there, I'm guessing is like free class, try free karate class, try free kickboxing, try free whatever. So I feel like that's a an offer, of, you know, with free, you're going to get more traction. Yeah, average yeah. martial arts gym gets 60, uh, average gym gets 27. Yeah, so the sample size in that report of martial arts gyms is pretty small, but I will say this, like martial arts gyms are pretty savvy and uh, martial arts gyms have been working with governing bodies you know, for at least as long as the Gracies have been around, so right. 20, 30 years. And so what happens over that time is if you've got a governing body that um, like welcomes sharing, then you you do see some evolution in business practices. And so martial arts gyms by and large do advertise better uh, than a lot of other micro gyms. In my town, even on my street, like you walk past the karate dojo three doors down, there's signs on the front and the back. Their website's been active for probably 15 years. Um, you know, come in and try a free class is right on the door. Uh, even back when there were yellow pages around, I mean, they were all over the place. And um, they also do a lot more stuff with schools. So they do a lot of organic marketing, but, but marketing has been inherent in their culture for decades. And in fitness in general, I feel like CrossFit was the only was the weird one, the yeah. only corner of the fitness industry not to get the memo that marketing's uh, pretty important if you want to like make a living from your business. Um, well, I, I think a lot of us as OGs, like we we were broke and and poor and angry, and and so we thought like, you know, there there was this one avatar of gym owner that was like holding us down, and it was this like rich, globo gym, uncaring, wealthy bastard. You know, like this could have been a Disney guys movie. at Planet Fitness exactly. were just churning those, out cash. Those were the guys. Yeah, exactly. And so anything that they did was the opposite of what we were going to do. And um, especially in CrossFit. But I mean, there were influences way before CrossFit that, that were saying this stuff, you know, 10 years before Greg Glassman. Um, they were saying the same kind of thing, like. Whatever you see go on at the Globo Gym, you go out and you do the opposite. You get a rusty barbell and you go in the parking lot and you like rip your hands and you're proud of it. You know, and like Mark Twight's writing poetry about this shit and, and Glassman is just giving speech after speech. And, um, you know, and for the previous 10 years, Louis Simmons had been saying this stuff and Joe DeFranco had been writing about it for a decade already. Like 
there were a lot of trainers like me who wanted to believe that they they were the bad guy and and the wealthy were evil and we didn't want any part of that what's funny is glassman made like nine figures telling people not to run a profitable business <laughs> yeah see the best business guru of all time the uh i just recorded a podcast uh about like lessons learned from him but my favorite glassman quote we were down in i think memphis and um one thing Glassman loved to do was carry an entourage with him. And so we were in this cantina and it was full. You could not sit in the dining room. It was all people that had like flown down to be at St. Jude's with Greg. And uh, so he had to sit in the bar area and he was sitting with Dale Saran, I believe, who was the chief legal counsel at the time. And I sat down because there were no other seats. And they, I don't know what they were talking about, but Greg turned to Dale and he said, hey, next time I start a billion dollar brand in my garage, remind me not to fuck this up. Cost per lead's up, man. 27 bucks. That's not what we paid in our day. Is can, can you still make it work at 27 bucks a lead? Can you still can you still make money? Um, I certainly could. Yeah, I would love uh, if you – as a one of the gym owners we worked with said, if you told me I could get $50 leads, I would say, how many of those can I have? And can I have more, please? Because it's really you know about the um, – it's about the follow-up and it's about the nurture. I mean, yes, it is more expensive, uh, but I also think, like, <laughs> I, I also think it, it's unrealistic to think you're just going to get leads for two dollars for forever. Like that's what it was when we first started, and I think that was a very unique, <laughs> a unique time in our lives when <laughs> no one was using Facebook ads, and then slowly they started to. But even then, it was like, yeah, I remember doing a lot of the marketing course and like, you know, one month it'd be $4 leads and the next month it's like, I'm getting someone $8 leads. And I would think I was just absolutely failing. Like I think like, wow, this is just, the whole thing is broken now and I can no longer do my job anymore. And now when leads are $27, I think, well, we should have gotten more of those $8 leads and we had the chance. <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I was talking to someone at the summit and they were like, you know, I'm, it's 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 really competitive where I am. It's you know almost one hundred ninety dollars, a hundred dollars a lead. I'm like, all right, well, uh, so how much did you spend? Like, we spent a grand this month, a little more than that. I was like, all right, and how many of those did you sell? Like, well, I sold like six or seven of them. I was like, and what's your front end package? Well, we do high end PT, so it's like it's like five thousand dollars for a front end package. I was like, okay, so. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to do the math, but I was like, you just keep, oh, what's the problem here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like, you spent like 1100 bucks on your ads and you made like $10,000 from front end. Like, I don't, you just keep doing that until it's broken. Uh, there's, there's nothing left for you time. to do here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your business but, has been built. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's an important metric, you know, cost per lead, but it is only like one kind of point of figuring out if what you're doing is working well for you or not. Like if your, you know, cost per lead is a thousand dollars a lead, but you're able to make sales where your product is $10,000. Like it doesn't, it, you know, it's all, it's all relative. It doesn't really matter. I totally get it. If you're a gym owner and you're starting out and, you know, looking at some of the revenue numbers we were just discussing, uh, Hey, uh, you know, I wasn't spending a thousand dollars a month on Facebook ads before, and now I am like, I better be getting something before. Like I can see that it's a, it's a hard, it's a big expense. It can be a big expense when you're already running so lean, but, 
Um, at the end of the day, it's really about the follow-up. It's about the sales and it's about your leg. If you can retain people for like two brain gyms do, right? Um, you know, you have to look at the lifetime value of your client and, and it's really becomes a conversation about cost per acquisition than just your cost per lead. So you kind of have to look at the whole funnel and it's a lesson that we struggled, uh, with trying to get that across. It was like every day we'd have to talk to a gym owner and tell well, the, that story. The most common thing again. you hear is like, I tried Facebook at, I tried ads. They don't work for me or I tried yes. ads. They don't work in my market. Yeah. And that's probably if you ask the fifty percent of gyms that aren't aren't doing that, that's what they would tell you. Yeah. And, and what would you say to a gym owner who's tried ads but they don't work for for them? Try a billboard. <laughs> it's going to cost yeah. you three thousand dollars per month on a one year commitment plus the original art, and go ahead and track your leads and see if you get one. Right. right. So now you've got like a thirty six thousand dollars cost per lead, and you know, like when I started, don't buy ads was referring to radio ads, television, that was still a thing, and yellow pages. And you had no way of knowing where your new clients came from, even if you asked them. And so cost per lead was infinite. I Back then, if you could have told me like, hey, if you pay, if you put $27 into this machine, somebody will come to your website and get interested, I would have thought that was a miracle. It doesn't have to be Facebook, you know, like yeah. I think you mentioned this the other the other day, John, like best place to get cheap ad space is Twitter right now. So, yeah. you know, like it, it's fine. Um, you know, like we all are with like kind of fitness methodology, method agnostic. I'm also advertising agnostic, you know, on your platform. But, um, you know, you need to have a, a way to generate traffic and eyeballs to your stuff. Um and so, you know, yeah, maybe you're not spending uh, $27 a lead on Facebook, but if you're blogging all day, like, you know, and doing that, like, and you're, you have an effective hourly rate, right? So it's costing you money to write a blogs yeah. all day and post them. If you're, um, you know, gonna go to the local, I don't know, events, or if you're going to host events, free events, like you're paying to host those things, like, you know, there's always going to be a, a cost associated with acquiring a customer. So you're going to spend your money somewhere to acquire customers. So, you know, well, I, if you look at the signups, there's nine, if you look at the leads, there's 27, the average gym. So it's like one in three. So these right. are like toasty warm leads. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you look at like the revenue and the member number. And so if you're extrapolating from that, the average gyms, like the average person is charging a hundred bucks a month, probably on like a not monthly on, on a, like no commitment membership at 27 bucks a lead ads don't work for you, but I don't think it's like a marketing problem. I think it's a, your pricing, your packaging and like, it's a math totally. problem. Yeah. It's a the retention problem. It's a, you should charge more problem. It's a be better at sales problem. Like my best ROI on ads ever was when I first started, so this would have been 2005, I joined the Chamber of Commerce and they gave you this like booklet. And on the back cover of this booklet was the email address of every member of the Chamber of Commerce. And so I just spammed them all and uh, sent them all an email, immediately signed up three off the first email. And that was probably my best ROI on ad spend ever. There you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> Follow Chris Cooper for more marketing tips. The, the one thing I hear on Every sales call that I have with a gym owner is I'm great at selling them. I'm great at selling them. You get them through the door. 
I'm going to close them 90% of the time. Every gym owner who doesn't track their close rate has a 90% close rate. Um, <laughs> and on a warm lead who Googled, navigated your confusing website, went to the contact page, filled out a form, somehow booked a call with you after like a six email exchange and then showed up at your gym. Yeah, maybe you do have like a 90% close rate. Like you jump through those hoops. But um, it's always like a rude awakening and another thing that like deters people from marketing uh, when they when they get their first taste of a cold lead. Um, so uh, maybe either of you can shed some light on the difference between a selling a cold lead and a toasty warm lead and why this is something that deters a lot of people from uh, doing something that is undoubtedly good for their gym, which is marketing. I mean, you highlighted it there, right? There's a difference between your warm traffic and your cold traffic. Like someone who, if you are an affiliate, someone who Googled CrossFit is already like pretty interested in CrossFit, right? So like, and some of the brand there is doing the the selling for you already. So like half the work's getting done for you. Um, you know, like you said, if someone Googled you and like showed up on your doorstep on their own, like, you know, by their own free will, like, yeah, they're, they're pretty motivated clearly. Um, but yeah, someone who, you know, saw an ad on their feed and they just like clicked on it cause they were bored or whatever reason. And then you try calling them. Yeah. It's, it's not the same kind of selling context that you're in. And so they will require more nurture and handholding and maybe they do hang up on you or maybe like, you know, they no show you like, it's fine. You still like, you're paying for that traffic. You can still like hit them. Maybe they just weren't ready then, but if you continue to nurture them and continue to communicate with them and offer value to them, maybe they will be in the future, you know, but yeah, it's, it's just a different, there are different points, you know, cold traffic and warm traffic. Yeah. It's, 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 it's totally different. And, and the way you approach that sale has got to be different. It, it certainly uh, highlights how bad I was at sales back then because the people that were finding me when we first affiliated No8 were already completely sold on CrossFit. They loved right. it. I basically talked them out of it. <laughs> and uh, I can remember this this woman, Melanie. She had been teaching in Kuwait for a year. She fell in love with CrossFit there. She was L1 certified when she walked through my door. And my opening salvo was, look, I'm not going to give you a sales pitch. <laughs> and she's like, well... <laughs> Does it cost well, I, money to do CrossFit here? You know, like, like, well, I came in to be sold on something. So yeah, that's tough. What are we going to exactly. do now? <laughs> oh, that poor woman. You're like, oh, we can work out. It's like, okay. Do I have to charge, pay money for it? I don't know. Oh, Figure yeah. it out. Do you pay me or? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I get it though. It sucks uh, calling cold leads. It's not fun. I don't know. Some people like it, but I never did. But it, um, it's just one of those things where, like, yeah, if you want to make some more sales, call some people, text them. You know, especially if they're opting in to your stuff at whatever point in the funnel, whether they're just seeing a random ad or they came to your website. You know, call them up. I think as soon as you say, get one signed up, uh, it changes your perspective because it's like, holy shit, I just saved that dude, you know? And at that point, it's, you just, you're asking yourself like, what kind of pain am I willing to go through to save the next dude? 
And uh, if that pain is just being uncomfortable dialing a telephone, then for me, like that's a, a weight I'm willing to bear. We're just saving dudes out here. Saving dudes. Just saving yeah. dudes. Um, yeah, I, it's funny to look at these numbers in retrospect now that uh, we're competing for keywords like gym management software with Kilo, where like the average cost per click for gym management software is going to run you north of $20. So that's not a lead, that's a click. That's a click, um, wow. Yeah, and so granted, like any SaaS company lives and dies by their their leg and their lifetime mm -hmm. value of a client, so they feel a little more comfortable knowing what they have to spend. But for context, like there are industries who would love oh, yeah. thirty dollar leads. Oh yeah, would absolutely oh. love thirty dollar leads. Um, so the other thing that I found interesting here is we extrapolated, uh, Wattify provided a bunch of um, user growth information. I kind of backed that out into the average member numbers. And it looks like the average gym loses about nine clients a month, nine cancellations and nine signups. Uh, so everyone's just kind of running in place, it seems like. Yeah, again, it's not that they're not getting people in the door. It's they're just not keeping them. And so that's why, like, for the last two years, our primary focus has been on retention. And um, I think the first year we published the guide, the two brain average was 13.1 months compared to the industry average of seven, eight. And now we're at um, 18 months. And that's really interesting because if you pull out, like, bands of people, what you'll find is if somebody's at your gym 24 months, they're 70% likely to stay for another year. Like once they're two years in, that's the tipping point and you're probably gonna keep them for many years. So I wanna get the two brain leg as close to that 24 mark as possible because that's when you'll see it jump from like 24 to 30. What was the, what was the statistic where like a two month increase in leg for an average gym will lead to what? 45,000 yeah. in additional revenue or profit? Three months, so if you, um, yeah, so it's three months of, I think it was revenue, but if you <clears throat> no, it's profit. So if you've got a gym with 150 members and you're, they're paying 150 bucks a month and you can keep the average person for an extra three months over the course of the year, you'll see another $45,000 in profit. Just based off of like average expense numbers. Yeah. And, you know, we underestimate cost of acquisition. That's part of it. But also, like, um, typically once people are, if they come in the right way, then they're going to go to a more scalable service like group classes. The problem with just going straight to group classes is they churn out. So you have to have the mechanism in place up front that you're going to keep them once they get into group classes. But once they move into group classes, you're providing a service that costs you less to deliver. And so your profit margin actually expands, you know. Towards the end of this, there was a metric there on uh, kind of the vibe check on CrossFit HQ. It said that 91% um, of gym owners who selected the CrossFit category are currently affiliated with CrossFit Inc. And of the gym owners in the CrossFit category who are affiliated, 77% uh, approve of CrossFit's direction. Um, and it seemed like the report, it was, it, uh, someone I think you wrote seemed kind of low. We both thought that seemed kind of high. So I, mm. I don't know. Um, maybe it's just like a perspective thing, but I guess, yeah, I'd love to hear your take on kind of what, 
you're hearing from affiliates and um yeah for us it seemed like the vibes were down vibes were not good and so seeing 77 percent was actually better than i expected but um what are your kind of thoughts on how affiliates are feeling well so i mean that that number is what it is right but like empirically i think that the initiatives that crossfit hq are taking to build morale among affiliates is good um you know, you can't just like prop up morale forever. Eventually you're going to have to actually do something that moves the needle, but they're certainly trying. Um, the other thing that happened is like most of the people who responded to that question and answered like the qualitative part of the survey, they, that happened like right as Don Fall had just been hired as CEO. So it still remains to be seen, like how much change this guy's going to have, but I'll tell you something. Like I've had a conversation with Don and that was the first question that he asked Mateo when he saw the state of the industry guide was number one, like, what does this approval rating mean? Um, and well, more so like how come 90% of people who say they're doing CrossFit are affiliates? Like, what is that number all about? And I honestly don't know. I, I think maybe it's people who are, um, they describe their services CrossFit, but they're not affiliated because they don't know how else to describe it. That could also be seen if you're an optimist like me as like people who are waiting to reaffiliate. Mm. Yeah, it has to, it has to be people who just like deaffiliated, but still haven't changed operations much. Mm -hmm. Like one of the, one of the gyms we sold is exactly like that. Like they're, they deaffiliated, but they still, you know, nothing changed in the program, in the class offering, anything like that. Um, just like haven't been given a reason to go back. Um, and then to be frank, like some people see it as more of a hindrance and a help right now. Where like before CrossFit was on an upswing, like it was trendy. People wanted to try, people knew about it. Like I want to see what this is all about. Anyone who who's wanted to see what CrossFit is all about has has seen it already, right? And so I think a lot of Gen Pop has kind of this preconceived notion about it. So while um, you know you're definitely going to get members from having CrossFit affiliation, people who actively look for that, um, you know, general sentiment talking to some affiliate owners is you're also going to detract people. Yeah. I mean, it, this, we took the signage off my gym two years ago, and I didn't want to drop affiliation until I could say we are doing something significantly different. When I asked Glassman, like, why should people keep paying the affiliate fee? And we were sitting at his kitchen table. He said, well, if I was using something that somebody else invented, I would want to pay them for it. And to me, that's always been reason enough. But then Greg did get paid for it, and he exited the company. And so for over a year, I, I was paying um, Berkshire Partners that owns CrossFit now and saying, like, I'm not doing CrossFit. My coaches are certified elsewhere. You know, we're, we are significantly different. I'm not using the signage anymore. Um, I was even content to keep paying them just, you know, so that money would flow to the CrossFit Foundation for a couple of years. But, uh, yeah, you know, I might reaffiliate later. Yeah, I, I definitely understand the argument that a lot of people had when they saw it as like almost tithing. Yeah. It's like CrossFit changed my life. I found my wife because of CrossFit. I got my career because of CrossFit. And, and you know, we, we attribute a lot of our journey to CrossFit. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's different 
tithing to Glassman versus tithing to this private equity fund. You know, it just something about it feels inherently different to me um, than it when was you say, in 2019. When you yeah. say there's people waiting for, you know, to come back, what are they waiting for? What do they need to see? That's a good question. I've been talking with a lot of even CrossFit staff about this and their their strongest desire is not necessarily even to keep their jobs. It's to be part of a big movement. And um, for me, the, the pull of like staying under the tent is, is strong, but it's mostly because like, what do you jump to? Like, what's another movement that's this passionate about something this good? And um, so that's why a lot of affiliates stay affiliated. That's why a lot of people stay in CrossFit gyms. They just want to be part of this movement, which I can totally understand. And it, it wouldn't take much to get a lot of us to just kind of step back under the tent again. But for me, like, I, I mean, I know I don't work for Berkshire Hathaway or Berkshire Partners. I work for gym owners. And so my incentives are 100% focused on making gym owners better, not 100% focused on fundraising for Berkshire Partners. And so that's why I'm neither, you know, promotional or critical of CrossFit HQ. Well, Mr. Cooper, thank you for coming on Gym World Worldwide. Uh, we look forward to airing this to the entire Gym World Worldwide. 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 Thanks, guys.